on this week's episode of 90 Degrees. We are joined by Frank B., professional sports better and advisor to Mattress Mac. You can find Frank on Twitter at TiesWin. That's Ties as in T-I-E-S. Today, we're talking about Frank's start in the industry, reminiscing about the good old days in sports betting and legal versus offshore outs. Let's dive into the sharp side and look for the right angles in sports betting. Big bomb, bomb, bangers. Ladies and gentlemen, Jews and Gentiles, sharps and squares, welcome back to episode 27 of 90 Degrees, the show where we discuss the right sports betting angles. I'm your host, Kevin Day Davis, and today we are joined by professional sports better and casino player, Frank B. But before we bring on Frank, I'm going to give a quick thank you to our sponsors over at Pinnacle Sportsbook. Pinnacle is the world's sharpest sportsbook and is now available in Ontario. Find out what professional bettors have known for decades. Pinnacle is where the bettors play, taking sharp action every day. No limits, low synthetic hold, and so must-have for those with a top-down approach. Must be 19-plus in Ontario. Please play responsibly, not available in the United States. Now, before we go on to the show, I want to address two things from the last episode that I've been getting some feedback on. One, I said that, oh, San Diego State, I think their head coach is Tony Gwynn. Little did I forget that he passed away nine years ago. So I was definitely wrong on that. The second thing I wanted to bring up is that uh, people are saying, oh, Kevin, what's your secret on how you get down at these Canby books? Well, if I... Gave away the secret, it wouldn't be a secret anymore, but I'll give you a hint. The secret is to look degenerate, but be sharp. So with that being said, we got our guest Frank B today. Frank, how's it going? Good morning, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Uh, It's a pleasure to have you on, Frank. So why don't you tell everybody about where you fit into the sports betting and betting space in general? Uh, Well, currently, you know, I'm... Uh, primarily a sports better, and uh, now uh, after 30, close to 30 years in Las Vegas or in Nevada, um, now living in Mexico, um, but still participating in the sports betting, uh, both offshore and in the U.S. Uh, <clears throat> prior to moving, I spent a lot of time in uh, like 27 years in Las Vegas, and uh did everything when I when I first arrived I was uh, I came to town as a blackjack player and then slowly and methodically added uh, other casino games and all the while betting sports and uh, uh, the sports thing sort of uh, progressed at an acceptable pace while the uh, a lot of the casino and especially the blackjack stuff uh, you sort of hit a ceiling there where you you're no longer able to scale. And uh, in addition to facing opposition from the casinos, uh, it just seemed like concentrating on sports seemed to be the best choice. So uh, that slowly moved through the offshore world. And then when betting became legal in the US, got involved there and uh, here we are now. So when you were in the blackjack world 30 years ago, what were the differences between the games then and the games now that you've noticed? Well, first off, there was a lot less consolidation back then. So you had basically more places to play. 
there was a lot less sophistication when it came to the casinos and uh, not only detecting what you're doing, but being able to do something about it. I mean, this is, you know, we're talking pre, uh, actually for a short while, it was, I guess it was pre-internet. And uh, so their methods of communicating with each other as to, uh, you know, trying to ferret out undesirables, uh, they, they struggle with that. And uh, it, was, it was much more uh, of a fair fight back then. But then as things grew and computer software was introduced, like uh, first through the Griffin Agency and then through, I guess, Biometrica and then <clears throat> other since then, uh, you know, that, that was the point where I started to realize, you know, as you tried to uh, play in a specific casino and you were stopped from playing before you even were dealt a card, is that, all right, things, you know, these things, things are changing now. They're, they're, they're aware, they're able just to run your face and figure out who you are and decide before you even play a hand whether they want you there. And it, obviously, it was going to make things difficult. So slid into the uh, uh, sports betting. Sports betting became more and more attractive as time went by. But as far as the games are concerned, yeah, you had a lot more handheld stuff. That's one thing. Um, better, uh, just more diverse con conditions and the ability to find softer games uh, you know, no matter where you went. Uh, nowadays, there's everything's sort of homogenous. Um, not everything, but um, more so. And you, you know, doing things the, I guess you say the old-fashioned way, you're not going to last very long because it's, it's an easily detectable activity. And, you know, you, you got to go a level or two above that to be able to get away with it now. All right, so the game of blackjack evolved. You moved on to other pursuits. What kind of got your eye about sports betting? What was the aha moment? Well, okay, so in my initial years in Vegas, I was I was definitely playing blackjack, and but along the way, learning about all the other casino games because now all of a sudden you're exposed to all kind you have all kinds of opportunity around you. When I first started out, I actually was playing Atlantic City. Really, the only thing there was blackjack, and in, in those casinos, they can't throw you out just for because they deem you too good to play the game. They gotta be a little more clever about uh, sort of handcuffing you. Um, so you get a little spoiled then, and of course, as anybody uh, that succeeds in gambling, most people that go on to for, into gambling as a career, they ran good early. Okay. Uh, that that's almost like a, a sort of a, the most random thing about a person that gets into gambling. You could have some very good players that started out and they ran bad initially and they just gave up, but they probably had the wherewithal to be very successful. And then you have those people that they ran good. And I was one of them. You know, when, it, when I left Atlantic city, going to Vegas, I was like, wow, this is going to be easy. You got easier games to go play. And, uh, uh, you know, I don't have to sit there and bang my head against first, you know, like a six deck shoe is not all of a sudden a great game. It's now a game. I'm, I don't need to play those anymore. I'm playing double decks and single decks. So, uh, you know, moving to Vegas and <coughs> sorry, um, uh, it seemed like a, a, a something that was a little too good to be true. But once I got there, um, things didn't go as planned. <laughs> uh, the Vegas casinos were sharper. 
when it came to dealing with, uh, you know, basic card counter types. And I went broke in about, about a month. And at that point, I said, all right, you got to figure out a way to grind out some money in a, in a lower variance activity. And that's where uh, learning about all the different casino games, and we're, we're talking at the lowest level of stuff. We're talking, you know, serious grind stuff. That's where that came in. And uh, uh, from there, it was just a learning process. And once you opened up your eyes and started to do things, but I will say one thing, learning to play blackjack properly was the foundation for everything. The, the, the methodology that you need to use to be a winning blackjack player is very cut and dry. It's very black and white. So taking that, taking from that and applying that to other activities is, I still do that to this day. So it, it made it easy to take advantage of whatever it is. You know, you start playing things like uh, poker and uh, playing in tournaments and just participating in promotions. Um, just using that basic foundation. I'm, I'm very big on basic strategy. So using that basic foundation um, and applying it to everything all the way through sports has you know, served very well over the years. Yeah, I think to be good at any sort of advantage play gambling, you have to be willing to lose and do so in a way where you're not second guessing um, a successful method that you're using. That variance is a huge part of it and you just build a big enough cushion. Um, so from your experience of going belly up in blackjack, how did that inform your, uh, stake management for sports betting? Okay. Well, listen, show, showing up in Vegas, I had, I had to buy a car and everything. And between that and getting a place to stay, I had virtually no bankroll when I got there. And so it wasn't that big deal to replace a thousand dollar bankroll, um, so when it came to sports, what happened then, I had gotten into all these other activities that were, um, I would say, you know, they're low level, like contests, for example, um, and low limit poker and things like that. So contests were the thing that propped me up or, or that boosted me up to where I could then participate in other things that required more money. Uh, I say about on year two or three in Las Vegas, I had learned uh, about the, uh, bet, uh, the football contest in Vegas and uh, the f I won a few in, in rapid succession. So the first one I won was at uh, Station Casinos, and that was a six-figure win. So immediately I went at like, you know, 10 times in my bankroll just off that one one hit. And then I won, I think over the course of three years, I won four more, con four more contests around town, none of them that big. But, you know, just, just going from somebody with a low five-figure bankroll to somebody now, now, now you're up well into this, you know, low six figures. That made all the difference in the world. Now I could get involved in all kinds of different things, uh, get involved with uh, part partnering with different players and in, uh, in town that were involved in different facets of gambling. And, uh, you know, it, it just snowball from there. Yeah, that's the crazy part. I couldn't imagine what I would have been doing if I had access to those contests in New Jersey. Uh, we still have some contests in New Jersey, and I definitely take advantage of them. And I'm just surprised because they publicly put up the leaderboards of how few people in these contests use optimal strategy. Well, back then, now let me tell you, back then, the, the contests that I won, three I, I know there were at least three that I won the contest. I, I, I consider this a win, is when I, I went for most losers, okay? Because all the contests had... Not all of them, but a lot of them had 
they give a certain percentage of the pay scale to the winners, and then they give a certain percentage to the losers. Now, a lot of them that did that, you would get a frack. You get 10% would go to the loser, the worst record. But there was a one particular one at station. They gave, I think we calculated, it was like 43% of the pay scale went to losers. And then immediately you could, you could tell by the leaderboard and the records that were displayed was that, wait a minute, there's up, there's over, there's close to 90% of people are going for winners. So basically you had, let's call it 87% of the people playing were shooting at 57% of the pace of the, of the, the pay scale, which meant about 12, 13% of the people were going at it for 43%. It's clearly the right thing to do, you know? And so, uh, you know, that's what you mean, you know, like applying advantage, you know, what the other end of it, those other people were taking the, the worst of it. So that, that was uh, something that as time went by, people figured that out. You know, every year you look at it, more people are going for losers, more people are going for losers. And I always tell the story that after, after I, the year that I won, my friends were going, oh, wow, man, that sounds great. And I'm going to get in there. And I had people from out of state that I was putting in their entries. And a couple of years later, my buddy won doing the same thing. Like my best friend from childhood, he did the, he won the exact same contest in the exact same way, you know, and it was primarily because they had a exploitable uh, setup on the pay scale that not enough people were recognizing. So, you know, that's, things are no longer like that. A lot more sharp people are, are in uh, the gambling world and specifically the sports betting world. So you don't get advantages like that, that, you know, just fall in your lap, you know. That is certainly like a big edge if not as many people realize about the race to the bottom rather than the top. Um, was one of your strategies to look at the line movement and to take the, the, the picks where the line moved against it just so you would get that extra? Okay. One thing I need to point out, these, these are no points spread contests. Oh, they're just pick them? Yes. Yes. So that's why the advantage is so big. <laughs> Oh yeah, otherwise, yeah. Um, otherwise, it wouldn't have been as, as profound. But so, so, yeah, I mean, it was uh, yeah, there was no really looking at lines. It's just what small dogs did you want to take a shot at to, um, you know, pull an upset? Because you, you had to differentiate yourself a little bit from the field of the people where they're just picking all faves and filling out the card backwards. But you didn't want to get too out of line because just picking up all the faves puts you near the top. In the, in the last quartile of the season so that you would be able to have a shot and then play. So you don't want to get too crazy early on. You, you kind of stayed in your lane until, you know, things started to develop, develop and uh, become a little clear at the top of the standings. So, yeah, it was very, you know, like I said, with no points, it was, it was, the strategy to employ was, was not that hard to figure out. Yeah. I mean, for the point spread the contest, obviously, well, I shouldn't say obviously, I would take the ones where the line moved against it if I was going for the bottom. But these money line contests where you're just picking the winner, I mean, that just sounds too easy to make up. Well, that's how all the contests were back then, except for the Hilton, with the Westgate now. But that with the Hilton, the Hilton had their contest. And then every other contest in town, and there were a lot of them back then, they were no point spreads. And then I believe Stratosphere introduced a point spread contest, and then South Point threw their hat in there, and they ran one. And then, you know, the, the whole contest thing started to build until you get where we are today, where you have survivors and things like that. But, um, you know, the first survivor was at Wynn. Wynn held a survivor contest. And my buddy won that. No, no, I'm sorry. My buddy 
at the time came in second to a current friend that he, he ended up winning it. So, you know, the universe, uh, the world of a sort of advantage players back then was very small. We, and we tended to do, we tended to know just about everybody that won every contest back then. So while you were doing this advantage play and like grinding up your bankroll, did you work any other odd jobs before? No. So you just went full professional right away. Yeah, and, and after a while in the, in the, in the blackjack world, you know, I became known well enough that I got, you know, asked by various teams to participate. And I did participate and I did take, sign on with one because the deal was too good to turn down. And it was uh, with a, you know, a re- one of the biggest teams in the world and uh, involved traveling and things like that. And, it, you know, as a, you know, I was doing just fine on my own, running into trouble, like getting backed off at, at a current pace, you know, but joining that team, uh, things went, you know, they went through the roof, you know, because you, you now you've now you're taking yourself from, you know, uh, low black play into now you're betting thousands of dollars a hand, and that didn't go over. I mean, I got burnt out at blackjack in the in less than two years, and that's traveling around, going to you know, all over the country, going to the islands, going to Australia. It didn't. It was it, in retrospect, it probably wasn't worth it, other than the contacts that I was able to make. But it was, you know, certainly an experience. And uh, uh, but, you know, casinos just take blackjack so much harder than any just about anything. I would say anything else that you that you try to throw at them. They, they don't like it when you when you're playing blackjack and they feel that you have the edge. So they react strongly. And, uh, you know, that didn't that, that's what got me to where I got put in all the books. And, you know, from that point forward, I would I would always have problems in casinos. All right. So you got put into the books. Like I say, with any sort of professional gambling, it's the only career where once you get too good, you get forced into the retirement. So once you're done with blackjack and you went on the sports, how long did it take the sports books to catch up versus how long it took um, casinos to catch up on blackjack? Okay. So well, well in sports, you know, there's, there, there were two venues that you could participate in. One was just in the United States, but just in Las Vegas, or not just Las Vegas, just in Nevada. And then there was offshore. And offshore was far and away the more lucrative area. So I got involved heavily there, um, which means, you know, you're spending a lot of time sitting in a chair, staring at a screen. And this went on for, uh, you know, the better part of 10 years. And um, while the, uh, the journey through offshore was certainly worth it the, you know it was you know when these sports books were just starting up i mean they had definitely had weaknesses and um if you were aggressive you were getting involved with just about anybody out there that was willing to book a bet and um you had to take the good with the bad uh, certainly lots of soft spots but also lots of operators out there that probably shouldn't have been booking to the degree that they were considering the, op- you know, the opposition that they were allowing. Um, you know, there, there, there was a run, I would say, from about 2003 to about 2008, where a lot of books uh, collapsed. You know, they went out of business or they just stiffed the things. And I'll tell you what, it just seemed no matter what, no matter which one it was, I had a, I had a funded account there <laughs> and, I had to take, and I had to, and I was like, you know, just, 
it, it would go from, you know, something that you could stomach to, you know, a couple that were very difficult to stomach, you know. Uh, the, the one that everybody remembers that was participating back there is Ace's Gold. Have you ever heard of this, Kevin? Ace's Gold? No, but it already sounds like Fool's Gold. So back in the early 2000s, they had a book, Ace's Gold, and they were trying to compete, compete with uh, the Pinnacles, the Chris's, and all. Uh, you ever hear of the Greek Olympic? Of course. So Ace's Gold entered the scene. They saw the opportunity. We had also had a, 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 a site called NetTeller back then. NetTeller still exists today, I believe. And you could move money around, sort of the way we do today with crypto. You could do back then with mm. NetTeller was your intermediary. You would have money on deposit at NetTeller. And if you wanted to deposit, say, at Chris, you just went in there, clicked it, sent it to Chris, and it was accepted just like that, got into your account. It was a go-between because otherwise you're going to Western Union and MoneyGram for the most part to fund your accounts. So anyway, Aces Gold got involved. They got set up, you know, just worked just perfectly with uh, NetTeller and they ran promotions to try to get themselves caught up with the other books. They would get basically given away to store. Uh, right off the top, you get 20% cash bonus just for sending a deposit and you could use up to six figures for that. Then on Fridays, they would, they had no big Fridays. So in the NFL and college football, I, don't, I can't remember if it was college football, it's been, but it was definitely the NFL because this was their, the start of their downfall. So they, they would take, you could bet no Vic. So there was no juice on football. In addition to that, you know, all the time, seven days a week, you could buy a half point for 10 cents, including on and off the three. So just, you know, just imagine guys that know a little, you have to know. 10 cents off any half point? Yes. So, so, so to imagine they just imagine they line something. It's the line. Yeah, just imagine something is line three. So now on Friday it's three even, and you got your buddy. He's got a big funded account, and he takes three, buys the half to three and a half. You take the three, buy it down to two and a half. Now you got minus two and a half, minus ten, and plus three and a half, minus ten. Well, you just picked yourself. I think that's worth about twenty-four cents right there. So that's a double-digit advantage on all the money that you put at risk, and you just. Did that every week. You just went in every week, plugged everything in, give them a little uh, peripheral action. If they're off by a half point, okay, I'm going to play that. But for the most part, everybody was taking a shot at the same thing, hoping for a game to land for you. This went on for the entire year, and they were taking and, – and by that time, we were running a, a, an operation where we had, you know, a lot of – not a lot of accounts, but enough accounts that we had, like, between a half a million and a million on deposit at Aces Gold. And – we're shooting. We're, things are going on fine. We're, we're dragging money out as 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 uh, as we could, but the playoffs came that year, and there was a game. It was, I believe, it was the, what the Tuck Rule game, and in that game, it landed favorite by three, and everybody had it. Everybody had it. So that means everybody scooped. They they didn't. If if I can't imagine that they, what their uh, loss was, it had to be. You know, their hold is got to be like negative 80%. I can't, I can't imagine. You know, I mean, I'm sure people bet other stuff. But that, that was right there. That was, that was basically the death stroke right there. They were, all, they were dead in the water. But they decided to stay open through the remainder of the playoffs. And they, the move they pulled for Super Bowl is they put up a line that they knew would only get one-way action. They made the, clearing away the best line on whatever it was the favorite, though. I can't remember. I believe it was, it might've been the, um, the Rams were involved. Um, 
but they lost the bet. So everybody bet the one side with them. They all won. All the players won because you're only going to take the value side. And so that happens on a Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday. People are now trying to get their money out. They're putting their uh, withdrawal request in. On Friday, you log on to the site and you see the sign. They, they refer to this now in the offshore world as Black Friday. It was, it was the notice that we're, we've gone out of business. We've gone out of business. And we apologize for the inconvenience, you know, of taking all your money. But uh, there, there really is no recourse. And that's that. Nice to know you. And that was it. And I lost, you know, a ton of money in that one. Um, and then after that, I lost my partner in that in that process too. My primary partner, he said, I, I can't stomach this. That's too big of a hit for me to stomach. And so he was out. And, uh, you know, from there, um, sports betting offshore, uh, people were, were, you know, uber aware of uh, startup books and all that and were much more careful. Uh, but of course, I, you know, I kept going at it and I, I got stiff by bet on sports. I got stiff by Camelot. I got, you know, it, it's just a list of places that I, I just happened to have good balances there when they went out of business, um, which, you know, as betting started to become discussed about in the U.S., you say, oh, I can't wait for it to go legal in the U.S. And between that point and the point that did go legal, I started betting uh-huh. a lot in Las Vegas. So... The fact that you were getting stiff from the offshores didn't scare you off from them, but eventually you started to migrate back to Las Vegas just because of the reliability of payouts. It also became a lot more sketchy off score. You had a lot of more, a lot more, a lot more books opening up that they realized that you know they could start up on a shoestring because with the advent of like paperhead sites or paperhead providers, it didn't cost much to start up a sports book, you know. Just like the the bookies today who run off paperhead, I mean, you can get a paper for five hundred dollars. You could have your own sports book right now. You just, you know, pay pay a, a paperhead service, and you're you're a bookie with a full functioning uh, sports book. So uh, you had to be more wary of of new startups and especially you know incentive offers to get you going. Which is what put guys in a certain frame of mind that when when the U.S. books start up, they expected a, a sign up bonus because that that was the big way of drawing people offshore. Um, but you came to appreciate the reliability and the, you know, that you're going to get paid uh, when you started playing, in, when, you, when you went back to playing more so in Nevada. Because we used to have a question that we would always ask somebody say, you should try out this book. It's pretty good. You know, they offer this, that, and the other thing. You say, oh, okay, are they down and out? And they say, well, yeah, yeah. They're up. So far, as far as, as, as far as my experience goes, and what that meant is down and out is, can you get money down and can you get the money out? And, uh, you know, you would pretty much that would develop uh, that reputation from word of mouth for experience. But anybody that started up fresh, you know, it was you were taking a shot. All right, I'll take a shot. We'll get to put some money in, play a little bit, take some money out, see how that goes and just experiment from there. So, uh, yeah, it was it became much more treacherous offshore. And so gravitated and started playing more in Vegas. And then um, eventually uh, it became a meld of the both. So how long were you in Vegas after you were done with, so from Black Friday to PASPA, I'm assuming you were in Vegas. So after PASPA, the Supreme Court decision that opened the floodgates to sports betting outside of Las Vegas, um, how did your betting change with uh, the increased uh, legal sports betting landscape? Well, have you always been in in, uh, back east? Yep. 
Okay. So, so were you there when Jersey started up? I was. I was uh, living in the Bronx, working for the city of New York, and I was in downtown. So the train to New Jersey was 15 minutes away. So once okay. New Jersey legalized it, I was making trips four or five times a week after work uh, to make bets on my phone. Uh, then I just decided to move here because I was tired of making the trip. Um, but, you know, basically I, I was there from day one. And my only sports betting experience before that was with uh, my local Dominican bookie in the back of my barber shop, and an and a uh, Italian guy in my neighborhood in the Bronx, but never with these offshore sites or with Bitcoin or with deposit bonuses or with player props. Yeah, the player props were big. That was, by the way, the Greek Olympic. They were number one in player props back then, and everybody copied them. <laughs> They would. They were. They had. They had people that would put up props, and they were. That's. That's why they were a very popular book. You could bet that stuff there. They were also the book that started, um, the five inning line. Mm-hmm. But they they used a true half a game line. They used a four oh, and God. a half inning line. So you had one team that got five at bats, and the other team get the the bottom team got four at bats, and they would put up a, a money line and a total for that. It was you know it was fun. They, I'm, I tell you what, I, I really missed Olympic. Well, there's at um, least two sports book out there right now in New Jersey that have a four and a half inning line. Oh, do they? Okay, cool. Yeah, it's, it's good to see stuff like that because it takes a little more thought, you know, because you got, you know, it's a 5-4 ratio as far as at-bats go, and you, you got you to gotta account for it. It's not as simple as the, just, hey, everything's even. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, the as far as uh, exploring beyond Nevada goes, the first year that it was legal back in New Jersey, I was just hearing about it. It was, it was listening as that first those first few months were taking place. And then it became obvious that it was pretty good because the, the suspicion before it started was that it would suck, is that it would be uh, very uh, similar to the Euro books, that you'd get handcuffed real fast and you wouldn't, uh, they'd have uh, uh, juice straddles that were beyond what you were, you know, what you were accustomed to in Nevada, another 20 cent straddles. The fear was that they were going to be using 30 cent straddles and beyond an aggressive scaling of the straddle. Um, and it turned out not to be, not to be quite all that. And as soon as it, that become apparent, became apparent, I, you know, I did make a trip to New Jersey and start getting involved out there. And um, that went okay. Uh, you know, so some of your suspicions were actually uh, had merit, and others were as well. You can actually. And get away with you can actually do a lot with these books i do remember the first week i was in i was in a, a hotel in atlantic city and i had just been there and i just signed up for points bet and before i even made a bet i got a phone call from uh God, what's the guy's name i don't want to say the wrong name johnny something he was he's the big guy at, at points but he's oh well you know thanks for signing up you know we're you know we're happy to have you. And basically what he did is he gave me a little speech about, he never really said it, but what he was saying is don't beard in. Okay. Cause we're going to let you play. We're going to be fair. We're going to let you play. And you know, you're fair with us. We'll be fair with you. That kind of thing. But it, it was clear that under the surface, what he's really saying is just don't beard in. Okay. Um, because of the, you know, they were having bonus, whatever it was a thousand or 2000 bonus. Plus they had, you know, attractive things. They had that action point thing going on. Then I don't know if they still have it now because within the first week, despite what Johnny said, they backed me off. You know, they backed you off. They cut your way down, got the email. You are ex- excluded 
from uh, recreational player promotions and this and that and the other thing. And I, said, and I was just like, it wasn't but five days ago that the guy said he's going to give you a shot. And, you know, how much how much of a shot could you have in five days? So it was then that, you know, the light bulb went on and you said, well, these books, the way that they're going to operate is they're going to do it sort of the Euro style, which is they're going to try to maximize their return on investment for per dollar bet rather than maximize their volume and just make sure they have a, 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 a verifiable edge um, overall. They weren't interested in that. They wanted to crush everybody. And if you were a type of player that they weren't going to be able to crush, they weren't interested in you. So that's it's basically like the two styles of bookmaking. You saw it offshore and you see it in, you actually see it in Vegas and you see it uh, certainly in other parts of the U.S. You got the one, the one type of uh, where their objective is to maximize their ROI. And they do that by ferreting out the sharper players, the players who don't have they don't have a good hold against or they have a negative hold against. Let's just get rid of them because this is the way we want to deal uh, sports versus the other style, which is to maximize volume and uh, do that because you're competent bookmakers, you know, like Circa does, for example. You know, Circa's not worried about that because they, they book responsibly and they're competent and they don't have to worry about backing people up. To make sure that they establish hold, they're going to get there on volume, and you know. So it became uh, painfully obvious that there was the majority of these books were not interested in, you know, dealing to everybody. They had their certain profile of a gambler that they, they considered acceptable, and if you didn't fit it, you got handcuffed, and you know that was it. The, 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 your lifespan there was short. Yeah, that's certainly like interesting to think about, like the evolution on profiling customers. Uh, one thing with Circa that makes them different, in defense of the soft books, uh, and they're always welcome on the show, is this: a lot of the soft books offer markets on everything because they want to keep everyone engaged, and yeah. Circa has more limited markets, so they're going to use their talent to let people bet, right. but they're not going to have like the three hundred different player props listed at circa way before other books except for a select few sports yes well i think that the that the, the philosophy is is sort of like the pinnacle philosophy is you know as the, as they move forward and they gain more competence and that probably what that means is just hiring more people to take charge of this particular niche area and make lines for make lines for that and make sure that they are comfortable with them and then put them out there uh i, I think you're going to see them grow. I mean, I have seen them, you know, they start to offer uh, a more varied menu, but they can't do what the, uh, you know, the Euro type books do, where they just have these computer programs that spit out every variation, every derivative of a bet based on some formula that has inefficiencies within it, but they just put everything possible up there because they want you to just keep betting everything in every possible way, because it's just stacking juice on top of juice. Oh, you got the you got the you bet the game. I mean, even when when DraftKings started, you know, I thought it was a stupid move on their part. But when I got to New Jersey, DraftKings, I'd load up a, a sport, and if it was a you know like basketball or football, and their default was minus eleven in each direction. It's like, wait a minute, what? what it's almost like you're insulting. Say, like, listen, we're, we're going to get more out of you. 
<laughs> you know, we're, we're starting. Everybody starts at dollar ten. That's the accepted norm. We're going to go minus a dollar eleven. I don't think it lasted. I don't think that lasted all that long. I think they realized that was a mistake because it's, you know, it's 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 painfully obvious right there in front of you. Look, we're starting it out at a dollar eleven, and then as they scale up, they would become more aggressive in scaling than say, you know, like a circa now or, you know, you, you got up to the dollar thirties, all of a sudden it's not 22 cents, it's 27 cents. And you get up in the fifties, now we're in the 30 cents, you know, and, you know, if you were just paying attention a little bit, you say, well, man, they're, they're just taking more. Now, DraftKings is not like that anymore. They're, they have a, a very competitive uh, straddle and scaled straddle. Um, you know, they've changed their ways for whatever reason they, you know, that they arrived at, but the, they're very competitive compared to like MGMs, I think has the worst uh, straddle and scaled straddle that out there of the primary, you know, the big books that are all over the country. So, I mean, books, they try and see what they can get away with. They say, oh, this isn't serving us all right. But in the end, it's all about maximizing their return. And with the majority of these books having that attitude, well, we want to do that through player control rather than just maximizing volume because we're, we're, we're confident in the way we bookmake. Uh, you know, that's what you're dealing with now. I mean, I think a lot of it's from the sophistication of the investors that the sports books go to the investors, especially if they're publicly owned and say, look how much we're making per customer. And this justifies our marketing expense because once they join the sports book, we're going to be making more money per customer than we would have been, um, you know, without these products. And then, of course, when it comes to the, the part about player control, handcuffing, you know, that, you know, they want to make it not only difficult for you to bet, they want to make it, I, I found it in a lot of these books, not all of them, but they make it an unpleasant experience dealing with them, you know, and what I'm talking about primarily is the, it's not the deposit process, it's the withdrawal process, <laughs> you know, I don't know, how many times have you been asked for a utility bill, for example? Too many, you know, like what does that have to do? Yeah. What's that have to do with anything? Like, like it's me being, being at that, that point. They want to make sure it isn't money laundering, but they weren't concerned about that when I was depositing. It's only when I'm withdrawing. You know, it's like the cop that pulls you over and, and you, there's no real reason for it. And they say, and you say, well, what'd you pull me over for? And they use some vague, well, uh, you were weaving, uh, you know, and, or you made a suspicious move. And you suspicious turnaround, you're circling around, you know, it, it really isn't a, an offense or anything. It's just like, you know, it's a reason to give you a hard time. And, and the, the one that annoys me, the, like I have money held up in Colorado right now at a book because they want a utility bill. Now, there's nothing wrong with my, um, you know, my information. It all matches. It's just that I don't have a utility bill. You know, I live in Mexico. I have a, I have a, an office in, in uh, Las Vegas that I work at, but I don't pay the utilities. I don't have anything in my name, um, but that's my address for everything. And they're like, well, no, you have to have something that matches up and can't be a photograph. has to be a P they're just trying to be a pain in the ass. So to make it difficult on you to, to get your money out and deter you from coming back, you know, and it, it, sometimes it goes, sometimes they go a little too far because I know people that got their money, they get, they get their money tied up for months and it's, and all their, you just have to prove that you're you, you know, I think it should be part of what I know it's up to each individual state, but in each individual state, I think it should be the law that a person should be able to show up at a physical location and get payment on demand. 
Like, here's my uh, here's my passport. I want my account. Stop with this nonsense of I got to start sending you pictures of me holding today's newspaper and, you know, a utility bill from uh, the water company. Here, here I am. This is my account. Here's my ID. Pay me now. And but that's not the way it is. Some of these are Internet only books and you got to put up with this nonsense. And, you know, it's uh, it is. A, it, they achieve their, uh, you know, their objective. It is a deterrent for some people. Now, playing devil's advocate here. Let's say you're friends with Pablo Escobar mm -hmm. when he was alive and he gave you a bunch of money. So you can figure what's the best way to launder it. I'm going to deposit into a sports book and I'm going to bet one side of the spread. Then I'm going to set up another sports book account, bet the other side of the spread. Then, then whatever sports book has the winning bet, I'm going to withdraw from, you know, how did, how does the casino make sure that, you know, the money was actually used by someone betting rather than for laundering it. So the person couldn't write it on their tag and say, oh, I got lucky. I won this big bet. Well, listen, I guess if you if you decided that you wanted to go about it that way of laundering, you could. But I could just go to Mississippi or I could go to New Jersey or I could go to Nevada and bet with cash. Right. Go over the window with cash. Could do that. I mean, got to do all this paper trail stuff. I mean, they could, they're always going to be able to come up with an NYC uh, excuse for put, you know putting all these restrictions and requirements on the player. But you know, when you're giving people a hard time, and it's quite obviously them, and they have no recourse but to put up with with all the jumping through all these hoops, it just seems like I understand where you're coming from. But do you do you not agree that there should be a physical location you should be able to go to? This is me. OK, this is I signed up. Here it is. Here I am. Please pay me. I mean, I mean, of course, I agree with that, because if someone was doing something sketchy and they have to show up in person, they'd be less willing to do that than online. Right. And there's some people are just not as literate as others with all this stuff. I mean, you'd be surprised yeah. that, you know, some someone just wants to to you know, get some bets that done and they get enticed by an ad and they deposit money. All of a sudden their money is caught, caught up. So I don't know how to get this out. Can you help me? You know, they're yelling at me because my daughter's name is on my PayPal account or they're giving me a heart. You know, it, it's, it's, you know, I, I, I just think, I think it, it opens. I, th I think that that, that uh, is abused that, you know, that aspect of it is, is abused and that players get uh, uh, hassled unnecessarily because they're suspected of being beards. I mean, listen, Every, we, we all know what a beard appear looks like. You know, you got somebody, right? He's 62 years old, and uh, this grandmother, she's really just interested in betting third quarter NBA. You know, <laughs> and she, she seems to do really well at it. You know, and uh, okay, okay, I understand. You know, you're gonna, but when push comes to shove. You know, if, if all her stuff is in order, you got to pay you got to pay these people because that's the game you chose to play by saying we're going to restrict everybody on, on anything that they seem to show any competence at. What do you expect people to do? Because when it comes from an advantage player's viewpoint, we you have a job as, as a sports book, and that's to make money. OK, and that's to make money by maximizing your ROI. Same thing with advantage players. That's their job. They want to make money and they want to do it by maximizing, maximizing their ROI. And if you're going to shut them out, just like getting uh, countermeasured in the blackjack world. Well, we're going to try and figure out another way to get in. We're going to try to figure out another way to get in. And when you make it so obvious that the first thing, because it is obvious to some people that the very first 
encounter with a sports book these days. Don't even use your, just beer it in. And no, people don't like to admit it, but what do you think is going on? When you have guys on the internet and just campaigning, uh, would you like, do you have accounts you can give us so that we could bet on your accounts? You know, I mean, that's what it's come to is that, you know, we're going to bet under other people's names. We're going to bet under other accounts. And it's because you won't take a bet. Now, do we have, do you have a right to try to stop us? Yes. Are we going to try? Yes. It's just the way that's the game. Okay. So, um, you know, I don't make any apologies for that. I don't bet on my name. You know, I, I, I have accounts, but you know, I participate with other people who are much better and much more patient at this stuff than me. And you know, that's, that's the way, obviously it's the way a lot of people, what do you think? You got a lot of accounts out there with uh, Spanky's name on it and he's just betting what he wants. It's not how it works. Yeah. Because with his given name, he really sticks out like a sore thumb. He doesn't have a generic right. name like Kevin. Yeah, alphabet soup. I, I, I go, there was an old trivia question. Like, can you name the major league baseball players that have every vowel in their in their name there was like three of them back in the day when we the one was it was uh, uh, if anybody had the first name of aurelio aurelio has every vowel in there. and then there were two pitchers nelson figueroa and al figueroa figueroa got everything but anyway but yeah it's, I, I know exactly what you're talking about so now like this isn't really sports being related but i'm just curious what's it like living in mexico but working as a professional sports better who has to go to the United States frequently. Okay. I mean, well, obviously when you walk around Mexico, they know you're not a native. Right. Yeah. But um, you know, I'm in a, I'm in a city that's a uh, uh, heavy uh, expat uh, population, the Puerto Vallarta and um, a lot of Canadians, a lot of Americans here. Um, but you know, you can't bet at the sports books here um, because of the tax, you know, the tax is 7% on your net win per bet. So you're basically you're laying a dollar ten to win ninety three. Um, it's a tough hill to climb. <laughs> so yeah, so I bet offshore, and I bet you know, you know, with partnerships, and um, I go back and forth maybe uh, four or five times a year, and <clears throat> for extended periods. Uh, you know, I I don't spend the summer here yet. I'm not that hardcore. Uh, when it comes to uh, because that that's the that's the rainy and humid season here and when I say rainy and humid you are wet all the time from July August and then through September so fits perfectly for me because I, I I go to uh, America and other places um, and um, get football going you know NFL because that's my primary <clears throat> that's the primary sport I participate in but um you know it it, it also kind of dovetailed with some life choices that I make, which was to establish more balance when it came to uh, daily life. Um, you know, I had spent the, those 10 years in Las Vegas sitting in that chair for 10 hours a day, like every day. Um, and I had a, a runner and I just, I did that day in, day out, year, you know, year after year. And it started to take a real toll. Um, physically, mentally, uh, but primarily the thing you, you, you notice first is physically. I was just developing like old man physical issues and, uh, you know, unable to move quite the way, the way you wanted to. And, um, you know, in addition to, you, know, you end up doing these bad habits. I know a lot of guys today still the same. They sit there in front of the screen and they, they, do, they eat a lot of their meals in front of the screen and they don't move around. They don't get outside very much. And, uh, you know, that takes its toll after a while. And, uh, 
I didn't like where things were heading, so I made a change. I told my runner, I said, listen, I'm, I'm going to start doing this stuff on my own. I'll, you can help me where, where possible, but I, I need to, I need, I can't be sitting in this chair any longer. And that's where things changed quite dramatically. I started traveling a lot and realizing how much better I felt, how much healthier I was because I was outside doing things instead of sitting in that chair all day long. So, uh, you know, that slowly, uh, when I got down to Mexico and started seeing the lifestyle down here, I'm like, wow, this is, I'm going to live longer. If, if, if I incorporate, if I, if I make some changes. So I bought a place down here and I, I absolutely, you know, just like when you make a big move in life, most of the time you go, wow, that's the best thing I ever did. It's just hard to pull the trigger for a lot of people. Um, but uh, when it came to uh, the health aspect of things and the older you get, you start to realize I, I, I'm not looking forward to the day that I am not mobile anymore. You know, not able to do the things that I want to do. So you have to, it's a trade-off. You know, I don't make as much money. I don't spend as much hours playing. I, you know, I have to make arrangements with other people. But quality of life is, uh, it means a lot. So um, I, I just can't do the, the sitting in the chair all day staring at the screen. Um, and uh, Mexico is, uh, you know, a whole part of that thing. But when I do go back, you know, do get, get back to work and, uh, get some things done, um, check out different states. So, you know, I'm still involved in all that stuff, but just to a lesser degree, there's more balance in, which is if there's anything I would like to stress to people out there as, as they, as they advance in age is you need to have balance because without it, things are going to start just like a car that you can beat on for 10 years, brand new out of the, uh, off, off the dealership floor, you get away with a lot of it. But after a while, the car starts having problems, having issues. And there's a, the difference between a car that lasts you 10, 12 years and you got to get rid of it because there's too much wrong with it. And one that goes 20 years is how you uh, treat it and maintain it, you know, along the way. And you know, I didn't want to be I don't want to be that car that conked out after 12 years. So, um, yeah, more balance is uh, definitely was a good move for me. So, Frank, to end the show, what is the best advice you have for people who are just getting into sports betting? Okay. Now, this is interesting because I have a son who I'm, I'm basically coaching up on how to be, you know, he wanted to do something, do something similar to what I did. So I, I started him out um, uh, doing things. Like I said, I always started, I started in blackjack. Blackjack, there's a basic strategy. There's just almost every aspect of it. There's one right answer and everything else is, is wrong. Um, I would start it, with something that you, with an activity that you can verify as you, here's how you, you have the edge so that you know when you've made a good decision, uh, when you make a bet or you make a play and you know when you make a bad and you get, like I always, like I tell my kid, I said, listen, you don't, don't, you got to stop. You got to let go of how you do every day because now he's already got his own team and everything going after just one year. And he has some issues with persons, you know, that, they, they get upset if they lose one, you know, on a particular day. And I said, you got to, you got to, you got to drill it into them that you're not getting, you're not going to be considered successful because you won on a specific day. You know, let go of, did I win this bet? Did I lose this bet? Did I win on this machine? Did I lose on this machine? Did I make the right decision? That's it. Make the right decision. You won. You make a wrong decision. You lost. You know, you've got you start getting in there and you start hitting 13 against a four. You lost. I don't care if you won the hand. I don't care if you I don't care if you pulled an eight. 
you lost that hand because you played it wrong. You made negative EV. You made a, you didn't make the, the, the best choice that you could have right then. And I would say just start small, something that you could grasp, you know, and that's maybe you have some familiarity familiarity with and start there because you have a, a little extra going for you knowledge wise and see if you can master that area and then just keep expanding from there. But always keeping in mind that there's a basic strategy for everything. You know, you can train people nowadays and trust me, I, I'm doing it right now and other people do it. And it's basically, I guess that's Spanky's method. You don't have to know any of the players. You don't, have to, you don't really have to know much about the individual players and become a handicapper. You got to know how the mechanics of the gambling activity that you're involved in, how they work, what matters, what carries a lot of weight, what doesn't carry a lot of weight, be able to apply things uh, in proportion that way. And you'll be able to figure out how to beat something. And you don't have to be an ex. You don't have to know the backup catcher on the Mariners. You don't need you need to have all that extensive knowledge. You just got to know how the game operates and how to take advantage of the weaknesses that your opponent displays. All right, Frank, it was a pleasure having you on the show today. Is there anything else that you would like to add or anything you would like to plug? Uh, well, promotion wise, I'm not promoting anything personally. But, you know, I have I have a Twitter account. It's at Ties Win. And I have uh, I've had it for, I think, 13 years. And I think I have 130 tweets. So don't tweet often. But when I do, it's usually something interesting. But I do have some friends that are in the uh, sports and gambling information areas. And uh, they have good sites with good information. One is my uh, partner in the Mattress Mac, Mattress Mac Project. And uh, it's uh, Anthony Curtis at LasVegasAdvisor.com. Uh, uh, just a whole bunch of stuff there on everything Las Vegas and everything, uh, it, it, how to get the best of it when you're visiting uh, Sin City. Uh, other, the, the other site I think is uh, well worth uh, taking a look at, Unabated.com, friends of mine. Uh, definitely a, a noble effort there in trying to provide uh, you know, educational material for sports bettors to make them self-sufficient and, uh, uh, and, and better gamblers. And then, of course, thank you to uh, Spanky, who provides Spank Odds for free to everybody. You know, it's a great gesture and certainly something everybody should be taking advantage of. Uh, it will show you how much you can achieve by having you know current and up-to-date accurate information on the sports betting marketplace. So yeah, just give give those guys a a, a visit and uh, you won't be sorry. The easiest way to improve as a sports better is to use multiple sports books and always get the best odds. We recommend using an odds comparison tool like the one I use, Betstamp. Betstamp compares odds across every sports book for games, futures and player props. Save time and money by checking Betstamp before you bet. Download the app today for free. That is $0. If you're looking to sign up for a new sportsbook account, please check out the offers available at betstamp.app forward slash circles off or hit the link in the description. If you sign up through this page, it helps support the show. Big bomb bomb bangers thank you for tuning in to 90 degrees presented by the hammer betting network and pinnacle sportsbook head over to our website thehammer.bet for all your sports betting needs if you've enjoyed the show click that like button if you're new to the channel hit that subscribe button if you made it this far 
Please drop a comment on your favorite memory of sports betting, pre-PASPA. Let's cash.